Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Okay, praise the Lord. Book of Ecclesiastes today, that's where we're headed. The search for meaning. Solomon's search for meaning. Is the, can meaning in life be found under the sun? If we're only looking under the sun, can we find real, true meaning? Well, I'm excited about Thanksgiving this week. We have so much, so much to be thankful for. I mean, the, the list is endless. But there's a little boy who was asked what he was thankful for in Sunday school. And um, it was Thanksgiving time, and so he was trying to come up with something that he could thank God for. And she said, just think about all the things in your life uh, that you're, you have gra- uh, you're grateful for. And so he, all of a sudden, said, I know, I'm especially thankful for my glasses. And he, the teacher said, well, why, why are you thankful that you have to wear glasses? And very quickly, though, he answered, because they keep the boys from hitting me and the girls from kissing me. (laughs) Uh, Perspective. Uh, So much of life just comes down to perspective. Uh, We we are ending uh, a section of Ecclesiastes today that's known as the correction of perspectives. The correction of perspectives. Solomon is helping us get a uh, truthful look at life and a truthful look at things, and correcting our perspective. You know, our perspective has already been corrected. The last few chapters here, we saw a couple things. One, that money is overrated. It's not as good as people make it out to be. It's fine to have it, good to have it, but it's overrated. And pain, then last week we talked about, pain is underrated. Pain is a wonderful teacher. We hate it, we don't want it in our life, but it's actually a good thing so often. He uh, went on and on about that. So here's the question now, here at the end of chapter 7, he's going to correct our perspective on something, and here's the question that he's helping us answer now. How do we mentally handle a confusing world where things don't always go as they should? When basically life doesn't make sense, how do I mentally deal with that? Um, and the answer is you have to have the right perspective. And where do we get the right perspective? It comes from God, that's what he's going to say, and throughout this what we're going to see develop is that the thing that we need in this life, if we're going to have the, uh, a healthy mind with everything that's going to be thrown our way, the one word that we'll see is wisdom. Wisdom. We need wisdom. God's word never gives us the idea that true wisdom for life comes from within. In fact, it was very clear in the scripture that true wisdom has to come from outside of us. It comes from God. We'll never know what to do with the craziness of this life without wisdom from the outside. And that's what really is shown here in the rest of this chapter. So let's see how we should deal 
with the baffling questions of life. Verse 15, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 15. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. I've seen everything is basically what, what Solomon says. There is a just man, there is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Solomon basically says one thing you can predict about life. It's unpredictable. A righteous man dies young, and a wicked man lives a long life. A long, wicked life. Exactly the opposite of what we would expect and what we would think should happen. And I told you a little bit last week about my mother, my Christian mother who loved us and raised us, how she died really a young death, early 50s. But then there are people like, you know, Vladimir Putin or uh, the North Korean guys, you know, that, that live long lives and they keep going and going and going and hurting people and doing all the things that they do. I almost used some American politicians in this, but I'll refrain from that. But these are some of the baffling mysteries of life under the sun. As Winston Churchill said during World War II, it's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. It's so confusing, we can't figure out this thing. Just when you think you know how things are going to go, tomorrow something happens that just totally throws you for a loop. When it comes to life down here, one plus one is not always two. Uh, that's not how this works. God is God, and he has reasons for doing what he does, reasons that are, are beyond our ability to know. And in this enigmatic world, this mysterious world, we need help looking at things properly, or we're going to go crazy. I mean, if you just start, I mean, Solomon going on this search, and things keep happening that just totally baffles him, I mean, if you just keep going, you're, you're letting your mind go down that way, you're going to go crazy. We need a proper perspective that's not naturally found in the human heart. I often I think of the idea of perspective, you know, when we're talking about changing our perspective on something in sports. I, sorry, I have a lot of sons. I relate a lot of things to sports. I apologize for that. But after a big loss by a sports team, okay, you just have a big loss. Everybody's just so down. And um, I always... It often, I should say, I'll think, after a huge loss, what is the coach going to say to his players? That's one of the big jobs of a, a coach. He's going to go in the locker room. He has a very unpleasant job. He has to be the first one to speak. Nobody's talking. Everybody's just upset. And he has to be honest with them, with a bunch of depressed people. But he also has to give some kind of hope. It's not an easy job. And sometimes you just kind of give what you can. Now there's a little, there's years ago, Coach John McKay of USC said to his football team after they had been humiliated by Notre Dame 51 to 0, he, McKay came into the locker room, saw a bunch of beat out, you know, beat up, worn out guys, just thoroughly depressed, and they are not accustomed to losing. And so he stood up on the bench and he said, men, let's keep this in perspective. There are 800 million Chinese who don't even know that this game was played. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's one way to look at it, okay? So that's a, a perspective changer. We need something to kind of switch our brains a little bit, flip the switch. And what we're about to get right now is much better than what J Coach McKay said. 
Solomon has reminded us now that life is a mystery. It's an enigma. We can't figure it out. Verse 16 now. Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Now, this is one of those interesting verses in, in Ecclesiastes. Is this saying that since life doesn't always work out like we planned, then don't worry about being that righteous and don't worry about being that wise? Well, that's not the sense of this statement, even though it looks, appears that way on the outset. Some think that the Hebrew there means do not be self-righteous. It's another way to say that. In other words, don't think that being outwardly righteous will automatically make everything perfect in your life. God is not an ATM. It's whatever you punch in, you get out. That's not how this thing works. That kind of mindset, as it says here in verse 16, will destroy you. You'll kill yourself trying to do everything right, and then you'll get disillusioned when God allows something bad to happen in your, in your life. If you have this mindset that, man, if I do, 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 do all these things, everything will be perfect. And it results also in this self-righteous attitude where you're looking down then on people who don't live like you'd live on the outside. Many people have this karma worldview, but this is not the correct perspective, Solomon says. But the warning that Solomon gives goes the other way as well. Look at verse 17. Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Uh, some people you know, might go the other way here and say, okay, well, since good people sometimes die young and wicked people sometimes live a long life, then I might as well eat, drink, and be merry, live for personal pleasure, just do whatever I want. But Solomon says, if you go that way, that's even more self-destructive. Why would you fill your life with pain and then die an early death? <laughs> Listen, everybody, we have enough problems naturally coming our way without adding pain to our life with things that could have been avoided, things that we do have control over. I sometimes look around and see the different things that we face in life, and I, you know, we're all of us are dealing with things and just the struggles of life on a daily basis. Can you imagine adding things on top of that, like a, like a drug, an alcohol addiction, or STDs, or mounds of guilt, etc., etc., etc.? You can just think all the things that can be avoided. Going the wicked and foolish way is just plain stupid. That's what he's basically saying. There is a better way to live in this life under the sun. Verse 18. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. The correct perspective in this confusing life is given right here. The fear of God. This means that I'm not thinking karma. I'm not thinking be perfect and God's going to make my life perfect. Do this, this, and this, and then everything will be perfect. And we're also not thinking, why try in life? Eat, drink, and be merry. Just give, give in to everything. The correct perspective here is I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to please God with my life and let him take it from there. If God allows something mysterious or unexpected, things that I did not count on, something that just is going to hurt me and for a while and test me, then it must be for his glory. Because my whole life is about fearing God and putting him first and pleasing him. My eyes are just on him. I'm just going to live whatever way pleases him and let him take care of the rest. 
I'll see everything in my life as a way to reverence or fear and honor the Lord. Basically what this is saying is have your heart in the right place. Think about it. Have your heart in the right place. It's not about the outward things that I'm doing. Uh, even though God wants us to obey him and when we fear the Lord, we will obey him. But it's not about all these exact little things and everything's just gonna be perfect all your life. It's about having my heart in the right place, my heart focused on pleasing the Lord. And this is not an equation, it's an adoration. And, and I'm gonna adore God in good times or in bad. It's about trust, it's about surrender, it's about obedience to him. This is the groundwork now, the fear of God, this is the groundwork for a life of wisdom. The Bible says several times, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if we're gonna be wise, then we always begin with the fear of God, which means to reverence God, to please God, to make my life all about him. Verse 19, wisdom and we, when we fear God, he gives wisdom through his word and through his spirit, by the way. Verse 19, wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than 10 mighty men which are in the city. Now, once, so once you fear God and are getting his wisdom then, so my life is all about pleasing the Lord, honoring him. I want, that's, that's my ultimate goal. God's gonna begin giving you wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're gonna start getting wisdom from the Lord to live this life and handle this confusing, the confusing things that happen in a better and a stronger way. In fact, you're gonna be so much stronger, it's gonna be uh, more than 10 mighty men which are in the city. What that means is you're gonna be stronger uh, than uh, sm 10 smart men who are running the city. You'll have more smarts than all 10 guys running the city. Imagine that, you can be smarter than 10 politicians. <laughs> That's amazing. But it's true, when you have God's wisdom, we all know this, you make better choices in life. You know, when you see a young person in their younger years beginning to make wise choices, we can all see this, you can start to predict. This is a young person who has a desire to fear the Lord. And we know that their life is gonna, they're gonna have a good life. Th stuff is gonna happen to them, bad things are gonna happen to them, we all know that. But this person, this young person is a wise person and they're gonna keep making wise choices throughout all of that. Why? Because we can see the fear of God in them. When we fear the Lord, we're gonna make wiser choices. You will read situations in life better. You'll be able to read them and discern them better. You will be able to read people better if you have God's wisdom. You will be able to determine the best thing to do when a problem arises. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better spouse. You'll know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. You'll know when to move fast on a thing, and you'll know when to move slow on a thing. You'll deal with conflict better. You'll help others with their life challenges in a much better way. These are all the things that happen when we fear the Lord. He begins to give wisdom. We'll be better than 10 men running a whole city. We'll have, we'll have greater ability to see things and make judgments than we ever have before. Wisdom. Wisdom is what we need for this very mysterious and enigmatic life. Proverbs, as you know, touts the incredible uh, benefits of wisdom over and over and over and over again. Solomon said, wisdom is the principal thing. The principal thing. That's the first thing. Therefore, get wisdom, he says. When God gave him the choice, for whatever he could want in the entire world, what did Solomon choose? Wisdom. 
He asked for wisdom above all else. Because life is a mystery and you can't figure out everything on your own, we need wisdom every single day. If you have any interaction with people or money or problems, you need wisdom. We all desperately need wisdom. Now, we're getting to the reason now that we should never rely on our own worked up wisdom. So he's now showing you have to fear the Lord. And this is where once you have that, you'll have wisdom uh, like you wouldn't believe. But you cannot rely on wisdom just from here or here. Verse 20, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. This is one of those Old Testament equivalent verses to the New Testament, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Solomon noticed something on this life quest. Even the most righteous people, the most righteous people, can't say that they never sin. It's impossible. It says that there's nobody, even a just man, which means a righteous man upon earth, that does good, there is nobody that sins not. We're all still dealing with the defilement of sin. There is just something messed up inside of all of us. We can't trust ourselves to be perfect and to have perfect motives in every life situation. The point is, we need God to tell us what to do. We can't trust this heart always. Now, one area that proves that we're all defiled by sin is our words. And so Solomon is going to give us an illustration to show, I'll prove it to you, that we can't be perfect. Verse 21 and 22. Start with verse 21. Also, take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. So Solomon says, don't try to hear everything that people are saying about you, because you might hear something you didn't want to hear. Someone cursing you. Someone saying something bad about you. Now, this is a big amen on this, okay? Ignorance is bliss when it comes to what people are saying about you. Actually, folks, this is such a liberating principle and some of the best leadership advice that anyone will ever hear. Charles Spurgeon told his students, his pastoral students, he said, have one blind eye and one deaf ear. In other words, listen to what people are saying, but don't listen too much. He, uh, look at what people are doing, but don't look too much. One blind eye and one deaf ear. Why? Because you cannot get wrapped up in other people's conversations, and, and especially in those armchair conversations, you know, opinionated conversations people are having. If you, try to, if you try to listen to everything people are saying, especially trying to catch things that people might be saying about you, man, people let loose with their tongue, and they start saying things that they haven't fully thought through, and they're just blasting with their mouth. And it, this is even more important. It's all, for all of us having peace. It, this is so important. But especially if you're leading. If you lead anything. Because everyone has an opinion about what leaders should be doing. For example, sorry, another sports illustration. For example, a couple weeks ago, we went to a basketball game in Sacramento at the Golden One Arena. And uh, we were in the nosebleed section. You know, <laughs> I had the binoculars to see what was going on. But there, the basketball uh, game was going on, and we were looking down there, and the refs called a foul, and I could clearly see from two miles up that it was not a foul. It was very clearly, and my correct opinion uh, was that the authority in the game was obviously inept, and obviously they were playing favorites, those dumb refs. I may have cursed the refs, as I said, cursed, you know, I may have, but Christian cursing, of course. Now... 
It, but, but listen, this, this is not just basketball for me. I am also an expert on football, <laughs> politics, theology, food, and the medical field, if you want to talk to me on any of that. Amen. Just ask me afterwards, and I will give you my expert opinions and how I feel about everything. But, but it's true, listen, we're all pretty good about letting our opinions fly. We all do. We all just let that, let that stuff fly out. And that's why Solomon says, listen to people's words, and you will see that we all have a sin nature, basically. We all have it in us. And that's what Solomon wants us to see. Verse 22, look at this. For oftentimes, here's the reason you don't listen to other people's words, because oftentimes, thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise has cursed others. Well, that's convicting. <clears throat> I don't care how good you think you are. We've all said bad things about people. We've all criticized when we shouldn't have. We've all let words fly out that we wish we could take back. I guarantee there's sometimes I wish I could just pull some words back. Yeah, that's hard to believe. It's, it's like when other people take a long time to do something, they're slow. When we take a long time, we're thorough. When, we, when they don't do something, they're lazy. When we do it, we're too busy. When we can't do it. When they succeed, they're lucky, but when we succeed, we deserve it. I like what one Bible commentator said. Listen to this. Don't get too upset when you hear people talking about you. If they knew you better, it would be even worse. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. We have all used our mouths in a way that we shouldn't have. We shouldn't. And Solomon is saying this for two reasons now. He's reminding us, you know your words display your heart. You know you know you're not as perfect as you think you are. First of all, he's reminding us, have grace on people who are talking about you. Have grace. People are letting stuff fly out. Have some grace. You've done it too. And then second of all, as he said, this is proof that none of us are perfect and we need God's help. We need God's help. We need his wisdom in this life. Our mouths are proof of universal sin and it shows what is really in our hearts. So Solomon says all this he has learned on his quest for ultimate wisdom. Look at verse 23. All this, all this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. Now Solomon now, he was, he's saying, I was determined to be wise at every moment. I went on this quest and I was determined to be wise at every moment. I was determined to have ultimate wisdom. I was determined to never say or do a wrong thing to see what it would take to get to that point and to find that ultimate wisdom for life, to know everything there is to know. And it was impossible. It was far from me. If the wisdom to be perfect could have been found, Solomon would have been the one to find it. No one has gone on a deeper search for wisdom than this man, and, but ultimate wisdom was truly out of reach for him because of the human limits that we all have. We can be wise because we get God's wisdom for things, but to have the ultimate wisdom as God does is just impossible. Verse 24, that which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? You know, certain things are simply beyond human capacity. Even if you spend your whole life searching, think about it, how long would it take to read and fully understand every school textbook in every language that has ever been written? We don't know, but we can safely say it would be impossible for anyone to live that long, <laughs> to even really get to the bottom and fully, truly understand every single textbook that ever has been written. 
That's what Solomon is saying. Ultimate wisdom is exceeding deep. Who can find it out? Who can know what God knows? Derek Kidner, who's a Bible teacher, describes this verse as the epitaph of the philosopher. Every philosopher eventually comes to a place where they can go no further. At that point, they have a decision to make. Will I accept what I do know in spite of what I don't know? Or, as 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 says, will I ever be learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth? Now, I've shared that concept several times with people who are doubting God's existence. I remind them, you can never know everything there is to know about every religion and about everything everybody has ever said about God and all of that. It's impossible. You could spend your whole life, but you do not have enough time in life to find all of that out. And even if you could, you, you wouldn't be able to understand it all. At some point, here's what we have to do. We have to accept what you do know in spite of what you don't know. And God has given, listen, God has given plenty of reasonable evidence to believe in him. And he's given us things all around us. Creation speaks so loudly. And as well, he's given the specific revelation, and that is God's word. And it so resonates with our heart. We know, we know it's true. So the next step then is to trust the Lord. Just put your faith in Jesus. But back to Ecclesiastes, when we think of thinkers and philosophers, no philosopher went further than Solomon, and he ended in this place. The realization that ultimate wisdom is just too deep for me to ever fully know and fully explore the depths of. I like what one Christian uh, professor said, and he said, knowing the limits of wisdom is part of wisdom. The more we know, the more we should realize how little we know, and that whatever wisdom we gain comes as a gift from God. See, Solomon went on a search, but he was saying, you know, I'm never gonna end this. I'm never gonna end this. But he said, I went on a search nonetheless. Verse 25, I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly even foolishness and madness. So Solomon applied his heart to know all he could about the wise way and the foolish way to do things in this life under the sun. He wanted to know what is the reason we humans go off into the wickedness of folly? Why do we run off to foolishness and madness and craziness? Why do humans do this? Why do people choose evil when they know it will hurt themselves and their family and their God? Why do animals instinctively know to stay away from predators, but a man doesn't stay away from porn? Why will a bird fly away when they sense danger, but a woman will entertain sinful longings? Why does a rabbit run into the rocks for safety, but a homeless person will not run away from drugs when it's ruining his life? Where does this pull, this pull to the dark side, come from? And here is an illustration from Solomon's own experience, verse 26. And I find more bitter than death, the woman. <laughs> Hang with me here, okay? 
whose heart is snares and nets, and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Solomon found women to be a bitter trap for him. And we would say, yeah, no kidding, Solomon. (laughs) 700 wives, 300 concubines, come on. These were, and remember, these were primarily foreign women who did not know or love the same God that that Solomon worshipped. Now, I should mention here, again, God never intended polygamy to be something that people did. That is not how he designed it. He created one man, one woman to be together for a lifetime. In fact, he expressly forbid this in the law. Deuteronomy 17, 17, he told kings not to multiply wives. And we can't break God's laws, even Solomon can't break God's laws and think that everything's going to be great. Eventually, the Bible tells us that Solomon's wives turned his heart away from the Lord. The point is, though, here, women were a great weakness for Solomon. And when we look at humanity, it's obvious that Solomon is not alone. <laughs> what is, I mean, what is, there, what is a greater weakness for men and women out there, really? And I think we should apply this broadly. I think that this, this is an application to men and women. Uh, some, for some women, the weakness is the attention from men. The, the whole sexual dynamic in this world is, has been, in history and always will be, a scourge on mankind. And every new generation finds a new way to distort healthy and enjoyable God-given sexuality be- between a husband and a wife. I like how Jimmy Evans, we've been uh, going through our marriage classes on Wednesday night with Jimmy Evans, Marriage on the Rock, and then another one he recently did as well. But, and he, he, I like what he does. He equates sex- our sexuality as a husband and wife to all the trees in the Garden of Eden that God gave to Adam and Eve to enjoy. I mean, hundreds of trees in the garden that they could enjoy. I mean, just look, look, God wants you to enjoy this life. God is not a killjoy. He is, he is not a prude. The yard is big on what you can do as a married couple. God meant for sex to be enjoyed. That's his, this is part of how this is supposed to go. But mankind is always looking over the fence at what else we can get into. But notice that verse 26, that Solomon says there is an escape from this temptation. There is an escape. And it says a person who pleases God can escape. That's the person who can escape. In other words, someone who fears the Lord. Notice, it's not those who know everything there is to know and you have all this wisdom and those are the, they're well-educated. Those are the people that can avoid those traps. No, 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 no. It's the, peop- the people who escape are the ones who are all about pleasing God. The ones who, the fear, that, and that's what the fear of God means, the ones who are so focused. Lord, I am so focused on you and pleasing you and honoring you. And that's what I want to do. You know, verse, uh, Proverbs 16 and 16 16, 16 says this, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And listen to this, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The, the people who fear the Lord and want to please the Lord, these are the Josephs who ran when Potiphar's wife grabbed him. The opposites of, of the Josephs are the Samsons. He thought the rules didn't apply to him, and he was bound and trapped by Delilah. 
I wish Solomon would have listened to his own advice here. He knew. He knew his weakness. He knew it. But he went headlong into it. We do not run off into sin because of what we don't understand. But, but it's a rejection of what we do understand. Verse 27 and 28. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Now in Solomon's search for perfect wisdom, he describes it as somebody who, as, as that he's looking for one truly wise person who lived entirely above this world. You know, I'm looking for that one person who isn't motivated by the love of money. That one person who isn't pulled down by sexual sins. That one person who isn't self-seeking and proud. That one person who says and does the right thing at every given moment. A person who fully desires to please God. And in all his searching, he only found, he says, I only found one man among a thousand that I could describe this way. And really only one, and, but not even one woman among a thousand. Now don't leave, he's not misogynist here. What, what is he saying? Is this saying that men and, that men, uh, Women are worse than men, is that, what this is, is that what he's saying? Of course not. The Bible is full, full of stories about both good men and bad men. Good women and bad women. God never says anyone is better or wiser just because of their sex. People say different things about the meaning here, but I think it's one of these two. Here, first of all, it's poetry. It's a Hebrew embellishment. Like in Proverbs where Solomon says, six things doth God hate, yea, seven are an abomination. See, he could have just said seven things God despises, but it's more poetic to say it the first way. So this may just be a poetic way of saying, I could only find one person who was truly wise. He's saying one, one man in a thousand and not even one woman in a thousand. So it's just a poetic way to say what he's found. The second is is that Solomon is just sharing his own personal experience. This is what Matthew Henry brings out. Which would say more, honestly, about <laughs> who Solomon surrounded himself with than anything else. Remember, Solomon had a woman problem. 700 wives, 300 concubines, most of these from godless nations. Is it any wonder? And it's interesting that he would use the, the number 1,000 here. Is it any wonder that he couldn't truly find a holy woman in 1,000? It would depend because of the women he had surrounded him. But, but if you look at even what he said about men, he said even with the, I'm thinking, even with the prophets that he knew, the counselors around him, and all the other men in his court, still he only found one in a thousand. One in a thousand that he could say, this is a truly, truly wise person. The point is, among the people in his circle, he could maybe only find one person that checks all those boxes, and even then, he still is not saying that ev everyone, he, he's perfect, because he already said here just a few verses ago that no one is perfect. So, here's the, so then here's the main point, and of all of this, it's a sad conclusion to this search that he's gone on. And it's, here's what he has to admit, and this is our last verse today. Verse 29, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. That's the end of <laughs> into the, this search. I've, I've realized, yep, God made them right, 
perfect in the beginning, but they messed things up. He discovered exactly what God said happened in the Garden of Eden. God made mankind without sin, but they had to have the forbidden fruit. And by the way, the Hebrew word for man here in this verse, in verse 29, is A-D-A-M, Adam, it's Adam. God made Adam, and by one man, sin entered into the world. Specifically, it says that they sought out many inventions. Inventions. It's an interesting Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is shishashabon. Shishashabon sounds interesting. It It comes from another word, which means to devise, to think, imagine. This word is only used twice in all of the Old Testament. This is one of them. I'm wondering what you would do with this word. Strong's says it refers to an actual warlike machine. The only other time that it's used in the Old Testament is when the Bible was referring to one of the kings who invented a special, unique weapon of war to defeat the enemy, and he called it a kishashabon. The Some translations say schemes, some say devices. The King James says inventions. Well, here's how I take this. God made man upright. He made him perfect. He had no sin. But all the good things that God gave him in the garden, all the good things he's given to us were not enough. So mankind just keeps inventing countless ways to do anything but follow God's way. And if that's not a perfect description of the human heart, I don't know what is. It's like, you know, the, the human, human being, if they're just, if they can be just as honest as possible, they would have to admit there has to be a creator. There has to be right and wrong. There has to be these things. I can feel it, I can see it. There has to be a God, and I need to find him, and I need to honor him. But the human heart just so wants to turn the other way and just create anything he can possibly come up with. New ways, every generation, new ways to just do whatever uh, we can find to do. New inventions of doing the same old thing, really. But also, everybody, this is the very reason that we need Jesus, because this is our heart. This is the human heart. We need his death. We need his resurrection for our heart to be saved completely and for his righteousness then to be given to us. But it's also the reason that man can never find the answer within himself. And I think that is the main theme here that Solomon is saying. You cannot find wisdom just within you are a man is incapable of working up ultimate wisdom. Wisdom must come from outside of us. We just have all these issues and problems in our heart. I sometimes wonder how God feels when we're chasing out down our own inventions. I close with this. The story is told about a father. He's vacationing with his family. He came across a large sign as he's driving. Road closed. Do not enter. Well, as a normal father, he saw that sign. He said, ah, we can go around this sign. It's going to save us time if we go this way. And his wife, of course, is saying, I don't think we should do this. But he's a persistent road warrior, and he's the dad of the family. So he goes, after a few miles of being successful in his navigation, he, he kind of boasts a little bit. You know, see, folks, listen, listen, just stick with dad, okay? I know what's going on. But soon he came to a road and then a bridge, and a completely washed-out bridge. All right, he had to admit, yeah, you know, red face, turns the car around, retraces his tracks back to the main road, and when he arrives, he's coming up, approaching that sign from the other direction, on the back of that sign. It says, 
Welcome back, stupid. <laughs> I saw that one and I thought, this is, is this what God is doing for us all the time? <laughs> Welcome back, stupid. You ready to go my way this time? Are you ready to go my way? <laughs> I think God's nicer than that, but you get the point. Follow God's signs. Follow his signs. It's his word. It's his wisdom. We have the spirit living inside of us. He's speaking to us. His word is coming into us. Man, just follow that. Don't lean to your own understanding. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.